Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. It's me, Steve Hall, and today I'm joined by three huge gents on one sofa. Um, this looks a bit like some couch that maybe someone would cast someone on, but it's not. Um, it's hopefully not, at least from my end. Uh, so we have Mike Isratel, Jared Feather, and Charlie Young. Uh, so I'm very... Is that correct? Did I get the last name right? Um, it's close enough. It's My pronunciation is silent. <laughs> I had a feeling when I said young, I was like, young. Good. He's so also have, young. So. <laughs> obviously, Mike and Jared have been on the show before. Charlie hasn't, but you hopefully kind of have caught Charlie through Renaissance periodization or through training with Mike. And um, Charlie himself is the athlete management RP. Uh, he's also a co-founder of a clothing company and uh, jacked and incredibly strong and currently in power, uh, not powerlifting, was a powerlifter kind of new bodybuilder and you're currently in prep, right? Correct. And today we're going to be talking about twice daily training because all of these guys have been doing that for quite a while and that's actually where I wanted to start. And I don't know who here started first. Was it Jared or was it you, Mike? I, I, I believe that I started. I'm sure Mike tried it in the past, however, like as far as his university days and stuff, but I probably ran it the longest and most consistently. When did you start, Jared? How uh, many years? My sophomore year. Um, I actually started the year before Mike got to my university, which was, I think, sophomore year. And then uh, just ended up fixing a lot of the things that I was doing wrong when I learned more through Mike's courses and stuff, but... Yeah, so six, seven years now. Awesome. So you you started twice daily training without like Mike nudging you or anything. That was just through your yeah, own. Yeah, because I was a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Awesome. And Mike, how long have you been doing your twice daily training now? You know, I don't exactly remember when I started, but uh, no, I take that back. So when I was a university professor... I kind of had uh, um, a more like I had to be somewhere during the day type of schedule. And I had just really begun to train jujitsu at that point. So I didn't have the bandwidth for twice daily training uh, because I was expending too much energy and getting too much fatigue in jujitsu. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And also the professor thing took up a lot of time. So for me, twice daily training was something I really started doing more when I retired from being a university professor in 2017 to 2018, something like that. So a few years ago. And uh, I really started doing it because, you know, I live pretty close to the gym and I, uh, you know, can get into the theory a little bit later of why I immediately thought it was a good idea or sort of uh, why I discovered that um, even six days a week training has its limitations. But I sort of gave it some thought tried the twice daily approach for just a few days and then realized that it has these huge advantages for certain folks, myself included. And then after that, it was kind of a feature of most of our programming. Awesome. And I know for Charlie, you've just picked up on it, correct? You didn't do it in your powerlifting days or anything. Yeah, not in my powerlifting days. Um, I think I started about a little over a year ago cool. when I pretty much decided to pursue bodybuilding Mike was actually like, hey, so do you want to start off doing maybe one or two, two a days here? I said, fuck no. Throw me in a deep end. So, <laughs> awesome. But, you know, much. Hasn't drowned yet. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess because, Charlie, you're the person who's most recently started doing it, is there anything you've noticed in particular difference? Like, what did you, was there anything immediately you felt versus a single session a day? Uh, yeah, totally. So... Uh, I mean, I don't know how much of this is attributed to actual powerlifting training, but uh, the overall fatigue I feel right after any training session is much, much lower um, doing these two-a-days. And uh, I mean, the benefits of it, man, uh, I've been growing like a weed for the <laughs> past year uh, with this increased frequency, and I've just been able to uh, push harder each session because uh they're kind of split up and uh yeah it's been great awesome and i guess to roll back to jared if that's all right just i'd love obviously you've been doing it the longest now and you said you from initially doing it not so great um which i 
hope not too many of the listeners have, are doing, or maybe they are, yeah. and now doing it much, much better using principles and obviously science to guide yeah. you. What, and I'm sure even using that and then it's even evolved since. What kind of key things have you changed to make better? What kind of mistakes did you initially make? So I would say the biggest thing is that when, when you have enough time to train uh, two days like we do, generally you're, you're a bit more uh, psychotic about it all. Like I said earlier, um, you almost use it initially as a means of really hammering in a lot of volume. So more than likely the biggest thing that I've changed from when I first started doing two days to now is I would use the second session as an excuse to add in more volume than I would normally be doing. Um, which necessarily isn't what we're trying to do. We're just trying to get more out of the volume that we are doing, even if it is uh, relatively similar volume as to one a day training, right? So I would use that second session to go in and like destroy my delts, biceps or triceps or whatever it may be, maybe even sometimes doing quads and hamstrings and destroying the hamstrings in the PM session or something like that. And it'd be like just an excessive amount of fatigue that I'd be feeling and I would overreach a lot sooner than... Um, I would have liked. So that, that potentially led to a, an overreaching injury that I have to work around sometimes now, uh, similar to Mike's pec thing. He's probably talked about that in the past. Right. I have that in my quad. Um, yeah. I more than likely attribute it to, to, to being a psychopath back then. But yeah, so I see the biggest thing that's changed is uh, when you actually look at a principled approach to training, you're not, you're technically not adding in too many more sets in that second session than you would be doing. And I, I had a lot of friends that did that. I did that. And people probably still do that now. So a big takeaway there is don't surpass your per session MRV in either session and don't add in extra sets be, just because you feel like you're splitting up your volume and you can, it's going to lead, it catches up to you and it's pretty, it's like a silent, a silent overreaching killer. It catches up to you uh, like week two or three just smacks you in the face. It's like, okay, I can do this. Week one's nice. You know, I split up all my sessions. I added an extra sets here and I added extra sets there. I got to do more chest volume this day. And then out of nowhere, you're just dead. You're wrecked. So the biggest takeaway from this, I would say, is that specifically. I guess because you're in the gym for kind of let, well, less time than your single session it's then like you almost are like, oh, maybe I could. You're trying to make each session like a single session type of length. Right. But uh, yeah, I don't right. know if Mike, you want to touch on a, how maybe this impacts the volume landmarks uh, and why sure. then some populations might benefit more from it. For sure. So fundamentally, you know, we get a lot of questions on Instagram like, why twice a day sessions? And it's actually very easy to explain. As you work out and do set after set after set, and especially muscle group after muscle group in the same workout. Because, you know, if you train four times a week, you're not doing like a bicep day. As <laughs> what the hell else are you training on all the other days? So you're going to do like three or four muscle groups per session. As you do more and more sets and more and more muscle groups, two things happen. Your local fatigue increases, which for a while is a good thing because it's stimulative of gains. But after enough local fatigue accrues, it's not stimulative of gains anymore. And two, your systemic fatigue goes up the entire time. Every set adds to more systemic fatigue. The problem with systemic fatigue is that it is not hypertrophic and it actually limits you from getting close to failure because of the target muscle's actual failure, which is what makes it grow. So the first couple of sets, the reason you're failing is, you know, here's systemic issues and here's local issues. You're failing locally, 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 which means you're getting great, great stimulus. As your systemic fatigue climbs, and then your peripheral fatigue climbs, you actually start to dip in this as well. You get this crossover, at which point anything after that crossover, the reason you didn't do another rep of curls isn't because your biceps at a tissue level, at a physiological level, are unable to contract in the recruiting full motor units and they're really pushing it. It's because your central nervous system is tired or your cardiovascular system is tired and you literally just aren't recruiting as much as you could this isn't a very difficult thing. Actually, you figure, how do we know this in the gym or in real world? You can actually feel it when you're like, you do a set of curls after 10 sets of back. I turn to Charlie. I'm like, how is that? He just goes, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I'm really tired. I'm tired. Not my biceps. They feel maybe fine, but there's just, 
it takes a huge RPE to get to actual bicep failure. And of course, that exponentially raises systemic fatigue even more. So essentially what we have here is as you do more and more work in a single session, it becomes more junky, the volume, right? Junk volume is volume that is not stimulative to hypertrophy or is incrementally less so. So we noticed in our training that after, gee, I don't know, 15 to 20 working sets, unless it's like something like forearms or shrugs, mm -hmm. 50 to 20 working sets, which really means like two muscle groups total, anything you do after is so significantly uh, far away from the muscle's actual reps and reserve that it's just not very stimulative and it exponentially adds even more fatigue than you would expect. So it's just a, a not so great way to train. And we thought, you know, if we just went home and rested for three to six hours and came back, you know, what would that be like? Well, it turns out you get a huge refresher, your systemic fatigue falls. And then when you come in and train that next muscle group by itself, it's basically like training more of your muscles when they're fresh than when they're not. And a lot of folks have very unexamined routines or programs. They'll always do like back biceps, back biceps, back biceps. And they'll wonder why their biceps are lagging and their back is great. Well, your biceps only ever get, you know, the play second fiddle, right? They're eating scraps. They're not being trained when you're fresh, which is the best way to grow muscle. So really the super simple answer to why do you train twice a day is training fresh is better than not period. And twice a day training can allow you to train more fresh than not. It does contract the sessions. But to Jared's point, and Charlie and I ran into this uh, or last year, uh, like in the summer, you know, we were cranking and we had gone up to 11 sessions a week and we transitioned to a mass phase and we were like, we can still do 11 sessions because we're eating more, more calories. And also, you know, our per session volume landmarks are still the same. So we chased those down but because multiple, so, so here's the thing, here's another really uh, uh, cool quirk, multiple sessions per day means you can take almost your entire body from MEV to MRV locally, as opposed to having to prioritize much, because you have to prioritize your back or your biceps if you train them both on the same day. They can't both have excellent workouts, so you might as well take your biceps down to MEV or MV and your back MEV to MRV. When you train biceps later that day, you can go full on on biceps. So we did that on 11 sessions and probably a mesocycle and a half later, we're like, yo, fuck yeah. that. And it wasn't a psychological fuck that. It was just systemic fatigue was really high. Desire to train really fell off. So multiple daily sessions can let you get the most out of your muscles, but by doing so can add so much fatigue that your cumulative muscular MRV exceeds your systemic MRV. And all of a sudden, you actually can't uh, reliably train like that. So it's something that has to be used diligently. Sometimes you do maybe two PM sessions uh, you know, per week. So that's eight total sessions. Then later for a mesocycle or two, you might be able to do 10. And then for one last mesocycle, maybe you know, especially for naturals during the top of their mass, they might be able to do 11 or 12 sessions. But that's probably not super sustainable for most people unless they're willing to really dial back how much they do in any one session. And then you have the question of like, why come to the gym? Like right now, even Charlie and I have one session for sure. The superset Berta race session. Oh, yeah. We're like, it is a PM session nominally, but like it takes us 20 minutes. Yeah. And like, if we have to, we'll just combine it with another session. It really won't be the end of the world. But you know, cause some people like to train 12 sessions all the time, but they don't have to do that. They can, if they like, but it's certainly not sustainable for most people. So you have to, you know, so there has to be a need for you to train. If you're getting all of your muscle groups super well hit with five or six days a week, don't worry about twice a day training at all. But if you start to notice, like, look, either I'm going to have to put muscles on the back burner or I'm going to have to come back later in the day and train them fresh, that's totally fine. Just watch that systemic fatigue because like Jared said, it catches up with you like crazy. Yeah, absolutely. That A, a lot of that made a lot of sense. And I guess from my understanding at least a lot of the benefits from it's like another fr way to increase frequency in some ways where as a beginner you maybe are training three times a week you spread your volume then over four five eventually six sessions per week and then you're getting into people who are spreading it over like two sessions a day to try and get the most qualitative volume done and i guess therefore does that mean it's probably something best suited to advanced trainees especially i guess intermediates might be tempted to get carried away with volume particularly because they just don't get tired as quick 
What do you think, Charlie? Um, yeah, I, I think that it's definitely a tool for more advanced lifters. Uh, most intermediates will uh, gain fine off of one of these. It's just a, another variable you don't want to, you shouldn't have to deal with at that point. Uh, the whole point of being an intermediate is that if you do most things right, gains will come anyway. So don't worry about two days at that point. Save it for later, a little trick up your sleeve. There's a thing there with like burnout. Um, Jared, do you want to speak to that for guys that try to go too much too, too soon in their careers or something like that? Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think even the hardcore warrior spirit guys uh, <laughs> who talk about how they just love going into the gym and killing themselves all the time. Um, oh, Mike, what's that? We used to talk about him. There's a bodybuilder. I don't remember his name, but he was, this happens all the time. So we'll just say it happens all the time. Uh, national level bodybuilders. Um, they are being talked about in all the media and everyone's like, Oh, this guy's coming. He's coming. And out of nowhere, they just kind of fall off the face of the earth. And when you're going way too hard, way too soon, especially early on in your career, I mean, like it's like Mike said, it's just a psychological burnout. And that's another thing you don't feel coming. You don't feel that coming. It just kind of sneaks up on you and your desire to train goes down when you're chronically overreached. That desire actually can just completely go to shit. Uh, It's, it's happened to me before uh, in the past. I like, I was training, like he said, I was training um, 11 sessions a week, uh, two times a day probably for two or three consistent years until I realized that I could, I probably need to make this a little bit more cyclical, a little more periodized. Alexa's trying to answer Jared's question. <laughs> AI is better than you guys. So <laughs> eventually one day. Got it really wrong. <laughs> you got it wrong. But yeah, so just the, the psychological wear out of all of that is, uh, it can definitely end careers. So what else do you have to add to that? Yeah, I mean, like, it's something you do when you need to do it, and it comes at a great cost of how much effort you're going to put in and also to your schedule. It's not some kind of magic pixie dust you sprinkle into a cake and the the cake tastes better. Um, It's kind of like, you know, I want to make a bigger cake. Why should I make a bigger cake? Well, I'd better have more guests coming to my party. If there's no guests coming extra, you're just going to have a shitload of leftover cake and a giant cake pan you bought for no fucking reason. And you're going to be like working all day to make this cake. And then you're going to be sitting at home alone without any friends, eating your own cake, crying, which is my every birthday I've ever had, except for when I lived in the Soviet Union, we couldn't afford cake. As soon as we got to America, my parents said, you have no friends. Here's this giant cake. So you can eat it alone in misery. So, um, but on a serious note, it's one of those things like, you know, could somebody could say like, you know, what's the best size of cake to eat? And you would be like, what does that mean as much as you like and no more, right? So if you're picking a training volume and a training frequency and thinking about multiple daily sessions, a need has to arise for it. You have to get to the point where, so first of all, uh, it, it really depends on scheduling because some people do like to do four or five days a week at the gym and then do a couple of those as two a day so they can get more free time. That's fine. For most folks, I think we'd recommend like first training six days a week. For sure, always have a full rest day. And then once you train six, you, you know, for years, you'll make incredible progress on that. What has to happen is two things. One, you have to notice that some of your muscle groups can't all get good training anymore. Like, you know, you're slacking off on them shits. And then two, you don't want to necessarily deprioritize some and enter a phasic structure where prioritize one or prioritize another too much. You, you, you think to yourself, I have the time, I have the nutrition, I have the sleep to recover more so your systemic MRV still has to be pretty high and you just have to basically fill in the local MRVs by training more. So a lot of people, their systemic MRV is already capping them at six sessions a week. If they added sessions but didn't increase any volume at all, that would be a good decision because it would increase the quality. But a lot of times, like Jared said, it's very tempting to increase the volume because like, here's the deal, like, Let's say normally you're doing five sets of curls at the end of back. Now you have a PM session and you do five sets of curls. You get more muscle growth out of those five sets than you ever did before. Who the fuck comes to the gym and does five sets of curls? Well, most people who live in New Jersey. But anyway, (laughs) besides those people, um, you know, at some point it's kind of like, wait a minute, 
you know, I could do more. Fuck, I could do a drop set. I could do shoulders. And then you start piling it on. And like Jared said, the shit catches up to you super, super quick. Uh, so it's one of those, do you have the need and do you have the ability? Are friends coming over to eat a bunch of cake and do you have the pan and the ingredients? If one of those two things isn't there, don't make a giant fucking cake. So when you ask people on Instagram, like, hey, like is two-a-day training a good idea? It depends. Do you have a need for it? Are you having trouble stimulating your muscle groups? A lot of people will say like, dude, I can annihilate my shit. I just have trouble recovering. Well, the, the, the two-a-day training is going to make your problem way worse. <laughs> uh, you know. So, and, and, and the other thing is, you know, do you have the bandwidth for it? And if you have the bandwidth for it, you think you can recover, but you need a better stimulus for the local muscle, then two-a-day training is a really swell idea that you can slowly, slowly ease into. Just try adding in like two sessions a week and split out muscle groups uh, put muscle groups in those sessions that normally you'd never really train first. If you train first, like forearms, it would interfere with the rest of your training session. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of the Revive Stronger member site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, a growing exercise library, presentations, research reviews, and courses. If you want to get involved, sign up via the description. Perfect. And I guess... It's as it's a, an advanced tool, really, for someone who's more advanced, um, and they're spreading their freak, their kind of yeah frequency. Essentially, do you think it's uh, something that can be used for extend the period of time where you would need to specialize on a muscle group, or do you think the systemic is still capping you there? I think Does it depends. Yeah. yeah, so it it you never really know when your systemic is going to cap you. So that's something you have to keep an open mind to. Um, we've written a lot of cool plans in the last several years and they don't all end up that great. <laughs> uh, a lot of times we get really excited. It, it's easy to write a plan when you're on a deload and you know, you get that hunger for training again. Like Charlie and I will do it where I'll send him the plan and Charlie's like, Oh boy, I'm going to really be able to kill myself on this. And then a week and a half in, we're like, this is stupid as fuck. That's a cycle that one year ago when we almost quit training. Well, not really, but it was awful. It was let three times a week legs in the am back in the pm and we would get to do bent rows and we just look at each other like why the <laughs> fuck are we here and then that systemic fatigue was so great that even splitting the sessions didn't work it was just too napoleonic so i think that you know if you are in a position where you want to prioritize a muscle group but you know you suspect you're well away from systemic fatigue, you're good to go. A really easy example is the muscle group you want to prioritize is small and doesn't add much to systemic fatigue. So for example, a lot of guys will train legs. If you train calves before you train legs, your leg workout is weird because your calves are, are weird and they're not stable. I don't want to squat after training calves. Fuck that. And then forearms, you don't train before you pull because it fucks up all your pulling unless you have versa grips. And even then, it kind of feels weird. And then biceps, you can't really train before back because then they're actually the limiting factor in a bunch of back movements and no amount of gripping solves that problem. So you think, okay, if I still train with no two-a-days, those muscles cannot be first. That means they're last or later. That means they never actually get really good high-quality work. How can we fix that? Well, you take, just for example, uh, two workouts a week where you train calves, forearms, and biceps in the PM. And all of a sudden, you have two workouts a week for those. And you might have other smaller ones at the end of sessions that are just phenomenal. And let's be honest, if you add a phenomenal calves, biceps, and uh, uh, forearms workout, that's not going to systemically overreach you. Like, what the fuck? Unless your shit is enormous or some shit. If you're Jared Feather, actually, that really <laughs> fuck you up. Luckily, it's really small biceps. So that cancels <laughs> out, right? His calves are huge. His forearms are big. His biceps are suicidally small. Um, but yeah, so usually it's not a problem. What we would just tell people to gingerly enter into is using, as soon as you go multiple daily training, you move a lot of shit out of the way, right? You used to have a workout where it was like, okay, I need to do six muscles. Now you have a workout where you're doing two. You're like, oh, fuck, I can do a whole lot more of these workouts. All of a sudden you're training quads three times a week, but at the same volume you were when you were training six times. One of those quad sessions used to be after back, but now it's all fresh, fresh, fresh. Everything's fresh. So especially the large muscle groups, don't get too crazy with them because they can sort of take you away on, a, on a, just a huge systemic fatigue burden. Cool. Fantastic. And I guess if I can ask Jared, um, what setups have you used uh, in terms of AM and PM? And do you have any kind of general rules of guidance for people? Because obviously when you first started, you said you went way too ham and 
now you've kind of spoken about how it's it's just splitting up the volume you typically do anyway. So how does that look generally? Sure, like uh, setups regarding muscle groups versus the AM and PM. Yeah. Things of that nature. Um, so while Mike is speaking, you can notice that he's kind of uh, tailoring his verbiage such that it's whatever your plan is. So he said, you know, you train quads three times a week, but one of those sessions, it was after back. So now you can just put that in the, in the PM, right? Which is uh, tailoring it to what you're doing currently is a fantastic idea because that's what you're doing currently and you want to keep doing it that way. And I would say that there are general frameworks on top of that that you could work around if you'd like to. For example, we have muscle groups that are smaller, that take on less damage, that are always at the end of a session. So maybe it is a good idea to put those in the PM sessions, right? Um, there's nothing wrong with uh, tailoring it to people who are training like full body five times a week or whatever it may be and putting some of like quads and chests in the PM and back and everything else in AM or whatever that is, you know, as long as you understand the principled approach and splitting it up to make sure things aren't interfering with each other. But as a general template, things that I've done in the past um, is putting most of the, what I would consider accessory uh, muscle groups or the synergistic muscle groups to the uh, heavy compound stuff in the AM, I would put that in the PM. So if I'm doing push, there'd be some tricep, uh, maybe front delt work. I usually don't do ex extra front delt work, but if somebody feels it's lacking, that's fine. So like tricep, front delt, lateral delt, and bicep stuff in the PM. Generally, lateral delt and biceps, forearms, maybe calves, are going to be hitting the PM, right? Because those are the ones that you're putting at the end of the session typically. So for most of the templates that I've, I've ever made, it, it looks more like that and a lot less like legs and then back and wanting to kill yourself <laughs> like yeah. Mike and Charlie did. <laughs> that was really stupid. Uh, my, it was my decision uh, to do that. It was really dumb. Uh, what I will say is uh, something to think about when you design these programs programs is uh, two, two, two factors that are always good to keep in mind. Factor one, your AM session is always, always going to be better than your PM session. Like you don't get a full recovery after three hours. So you, if you think from the last PM session I did to this AM session, that's like 17 hours or something like that and like five meals. But from the PM session to the next session is like, like maybe one or two meals and like three to six hours. So you don't want to do like an AM session of something that's not super important or not super systemically difficult like biceps and, you know, calves and then a PM of like back and legs. That would be fucking stupid because you usually feel better when you've had more rest and so on and so forth. So AM, save the big stuff like Jared said. And factor number two is you don't want to train muscles in the AM that are limiting factors for movements you're going to use in the PM. Like if you do a shitloads of chest work in the AM, you can do a ton of tricep stuff in the PM and be 100% fine, which is Jared's lifetime, uh, lifetime quote. So you can be 100%, which by the way, Steve, between us, uh, us friends, 100% fine doesn't mean anything. You could be like dying. And but Jared, how are you doing? He'd be like, I'm 100% fine. That means he can still speak. So um, you would uh, actually be 100% fine training triceps after training chest. But if you train triceps in the AM, what is your pressing going to look like for chest in the PM? Well, it's going to be limited by triceps, which means your pecs are always going to be like, oh, I kind of wish I could get more reps here, but my triceps keep giving out, right? So it's one of those situations where you want to save the more peripheral musculature for the PM, the, uh, the stuff that is not the limiting factor for the AM. So like back in the AM, biceps in the PM, back in the AM, shoulders in the PM, uh, back in the AM, forms in the PM, or chest in the AM, triceps in the PM, or something like that. Unrelated muscles are totally fine to train at any time, but then you go back to which is the big, super hardcore muscle and the one I want to bring up the most. Like, it'd be weird to do like, and also another one is if you do AM, PM, probably don't combine two very difficult muscles, mm -hmm. even if they don't interfere. So that's kind of point number three. So like, Charlie and I keep saying Charlie and I, but really I just made Charlie do it. Uh, and I was like, Oh, I'm Dr. Mike. I know things. He's like, okay, I'm Korean and I'll just do whatever the fuck until I die. And that was what happened. We both died. The second week of that, I was just like, man, you think this is a good idea? Like, I feel like shit on PM sessions during this, during this day. Like we do this heavy ass uh, leg press workout in the AM and then we get to PM and you just feel this, the systemic fatigue still like, all throughout your body. Deficit like, barbell. Oh, God. <laughs>
don't know how smart that was. Yeah, we did like crazy quad and ham and then deficit barbell rows were our first exercise, like setting Oof. up the position. We were like, uh. and of course, to my infinite credit, when Charlie asked me if this is a good idea, what did I say? I made up Dr. Mike bullshit. I was like, I think it's, it's fine. I think it's fine. I think it, it totally works, it was, which was a lie to myself. Yeah. To, to that point, however, if, if you thought that sounded interesting and you would like to try it, I would just not combine super axial loaded stuff for AM PM. Like if you were going to yeah. do a hard quad session and you thought back was a good thing to train that day as well, pull-ups and pull-downs might be fine. It could be your lighter session for the week, right? Earlier on in the week, you might do bent rows in the AM and in the PM you're hitting more uh, hamstring flexion exercises instead. Yeah. Instead of doing like crazy bent rows and hard squats all in the same day, you're mixing it up into where it's more isolated versus heavier compound. Like I said, generally the PM session is a more isolated synergistic type of, of session. But if you wanted to split it up that way, yeah. it could just be put that isolated shit in the, in the PM later on, have the harder hamstring session in the AM. But for now we just did bent rows this morning. So let's keep it a little bit more isolated with flexion stuff, add in some biceps and delts or something like that. So it's all just principled and you have to work around it that way. There are ways that are intra-session uh, just looking at things on the, on the macro level, but on the intercession level and making sure those muscle groups aren't interfering with each other as well. Yeah. So if I could take stock really quick, I think like if you're arranging a program, train in the AM more in the PM, what you need train in the AM, the uh, stuff that doesn't limiting factor, the stuff in the PM and not vice versa. Uh, train in the AM, the stuff that is more systemically fatiguing uh, and the, the PM save the easier stuff and then train in the AM more of the axially loading stuff, the vertical loading stuff, and save the less axially loading, even if it's still a company, but it's still a large muscle mass like vertical pulling, save that for the PM. So there's four kind of principles you can use to design that. And then, uh, you know, can you violate them? Yeah, like probably, but like you just be ready to pay the cost. And if you can violate them, but for some quirk, you know, some people say, oh, I never really fatigue in bent row. Sweet, you can fucking bent row all day long if you want. But uh, just be careful that, you know, most people that's not the issue and you might really fatigue from, you know, incline presses. So do those first, don't do those second and so on and so forth. Fantastic. And to my next point for Charlie, I'd uh, be interested to hear how your nutrition may have changed and if there was anything you had to ch yeah, change when you were training twice per day. And if maybe if uh, for the listeners, if there was anything you kind of found, if you didn't get it right, it had a big impact. Could it, did nutrient timing play a bigger role? Uh, yeah, for, for me, uh, it played a huge role uh, because, you know, coming from a powerlifting background, you know, a lot of powerlifters, unfortunately, don't know how to eat the nutrition shit. So it's pretty much uh, a, a powerlifter with decent nutrition uh, is here are my macros. I'm just going to get them in when I can. But uh, with the AM-PM splits, um, I definitely have to prioritize the carbs around the first AM session. So I'll get my you know first meal in, have enough time to digest, and then eat pretty much immediately after my AM session so that I can digest the food enough that when I get to my PM session, one, you know, I feel more recovered. And two, I'm just not so goddamn full from the meal so that I can actually train because, uh, you know, especially when you're massing, you know, you don't want to eat and then train within an hour of, uh, you know, eating. So, uh, yeah, that was huge for me. And how many hours are typically between your morning and evening sessions? And do you ever, what's the shortest window you've ever given yourselves? So, uh, typically, uh, the start of the AM session and the start of the PM session is about five to six hours apart. Um, but I mean, you know, life happens, work happens. Uh, there are times where we have to combine sessions where it'll be, we'll do our AM and then we'll just sit around for like 20, 30 minutes and then go straight to the PM session. Um, then, you know, that's the most, I guess, uh, extreme version of that. But, you know, uh, I would say anywhere, if you're giving yourself two to three hours between an AM PM session, it's not ideal, but you know, it'll work. Yeah. Cool. What, what I like to call that is one meal cycle. So like eat a nice big meal to recover from your AM session. And then when that meal is like, like really getting to digesting and you feel athletic again and you can do stuff and you have energy, then it's time to go. And that really does take two or three hours for most people. 
So, you know, if you wait an hour, the next question is like, so what are you eating in between? And then the answer is like, well, I got to really modify that. But then like, why are you waiting an hour? I mean, is waiting an hour better than just back to backing it? Yeah, for sure. So you have an hour extra to sort of recover, but at least one meal cycle for folks that, you know, for some folks, they like two meal cycles between them. Um, although I would say like, I guess Charlie and I sort of like to get our training out in the first half of the day. And then I, I do jujitsu and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, now Charlie has cardio and stuff. So it's kind of like, there's maybe some time left for that as well. And I think, I I still think it's very important on average for most folks to reserve a few hours in the evening to truly relax. Mm -hmm. And Charlie and I are really good about that. Maybe Charlie can tell you about his sort of daily routine of like train, train, relax. Yeah, I guess. Well, you (laughs) tell them, people have heard enough about me. (laughs) Point to the nutrition. Um, Before we move on to what schedules look like as far as nutrition goes. And hopefully this provides some insight into uh, the unfortunate reality of the use of absolutes and generalities and like comment sections and people who, who uh, like to sort of debate openly um, simple statements that will be made by maybe intellectuals in the field. So there's so much nuance in all of this. And anytime that you'll see us talk about stuff, it's it, people will, will hit us with an absolute like, well, this study says nutrient timing doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. This study says glycemic load doesn't matter. Um, this is what this study says and this and that. So the unfortunate reality of the PubMed warrior and the absolutes that they tend to use just shines light on how much they don't understand of the nuance of the situation. Because for example, Mike and Charlie wake up and they like to get a meal in. I don't do that. My peri-workout nutrition looks a lot different than theirs, okay? I will have a high glycemic intracarbohydrate shake and I'll start sipping on that 20 minutes before I train and I'll have it through the duration of my session. My next session, it might be before theirs because I have something to do that day. So my peri-workout nutrition, including the post-workout window, might also look different than theirs. I might have something higher glycemic while they might have like rice and chicken and whatever else because they're training in six hours. So this stuff, okay, maybe it's not important um, as far as looking at this huge picture of, well, you know, this my friend's trying to lose body fat. I hear that nutrient timing doesn't really matter too much, and I hear that uh, glycemic load doesn't matter as much or that much either. It's like, okay, that's a fine thing to say in that situation, but again, nuance. I'm going to train again in three hours. I might need to have something that's a little more high glycemic directly after my session so that way I can fit in two meals, or I might need yeah. to have something a little more higher glycemic because I wake up after them. Um, I might only fit in two meals where they're fitting in three meals. I might train a little sooner after I eat than they train, which would also allude to maybe having a more moderate high glycemic approach as far as your, your meal uh, before you train. So it's like, okay, training, like he said, training an hour after your other session isn't ideal. Um, but if you have to do it, are you going home and pounding a bunch of fats, a bunch of brown rice, and uh, chicken? No, you're not going to do that because that's still going to be in your GI tract when you go to the gym and you're going to be throwing the fuck up. So it's like, don't read a single study or don't just parrot something from somebody that they use in a context of, a, of a, something they were saying to somebody else, such as like, let's Mike says something about to a general fitness client who says, how much should I worry about nutrient timing? And Mike says, mm, probably not that much. And then somebody takes that and they run with it. There's too much nuance there to do shit like that. And that's, it's just a big pet peeve of mine. <laughs> so it's like, I wanted to touch on that because these things do matter. And it, I don't care, mm-hmm. what, like the study might say this, but as far as making an inference on physiology and how these things actually work, they work in specific situations and where that might be more advanced situations for the most part, they still work. They need to work. They have to. So, and it's also self-evident when they work. Um, like somebody could tell you, like uh, glycemic index doesn't matter. Back, like, right? You got to work out in two hours, and they eat a, like ninety grams of fiber or something, and then they're like, I, "I'm gonna throw up." Like, okay, well, maybe you fucked up. Like, no, it's not. It's not it. Like, it also, it's always funny to me when people say, like, "Well, the GI doesn't matter because because mixed meals." Now you can have a meal of 150 grams of carbs from rice and 10 grams of fat from the chicken going to have a certain glycemic profile. It's going to look a little bit different than a meal of 30 grams of carbs and 45 grams of fats. It is not the same glycemic index. It's not the same carbohydrate release. It is not the same timing of gastric emptying. It still matters. It's just not this like 
you know, this open and shut case where, you know, what we, I think a lot of the evidence piece people who sort of talk down on the glycemic index really wanted to put to an end was people like look up breakfast cereals and be like, well, cornflakes, the glycemic index is 77, but frosted flakes 79. I'm just going to eat frosted flakes. And like, you're not well, you need to go see a psychiatrist <laughs> because you know, your milk is diluting that to crazy levels. But you know, when you realize fats and fiber make huge deviations of glycemic index and the glycemic load is hugely uh, deviated by how much carbohydrate eating, you know, and somebody who like runs on a steady diet of carbs, like Charlie, if we fuck that up for him, he'll either pass out or throw up, like pass out from not enough carbs or throw up from too many, too many fats. So we can't just make assumptions like that. And the particular plan you execute through the day should be tailored to what you need. And a lot of that's pretty obvious is how you feel. Do you feel like your food's digested? No. Well, then it's fucking time to wait longer. And the next time you want to train with the same <laughs> interval, eat stuff that digests faster. Uh, okay. Good idea. Okay. For the absoluters out there. Next time you're going hypo. Uh, I want you to, uh, instead of getting a Gatorade, I would like you to uh, eat something loaded and with olive oil, coated in olive oil, fried. No, just a spoonful uh, of peanut butter. Sticko butter is my Sticko favorite. Because there's carbs in there. It's, you're oh, going to yeah. be fine. So oh, yeah, that's true. One peanut of the things that's going to happen, you're going to pass out, maybe die, or you're going to be better. And you're right. The glycemic index doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. So would it be fair to say especially like the closer you're training together, but twice daily training, it's within like the five hours, six hours or something. It's still relatively close, but even the closer, the more attention you need to pay to glycemic index. So a higher glycemic index, a lower fiber, lower fat. So for Jared, when you have that hour or two, you need to keep your fats kind of under a cap right. fiber, fats are higher a, glycemic. Yeah. Fats are a huge determinant of that. So most of my fats don't really come until uh, after my second session because you have the peri-workout nutrition of me waking up and immediately training, which most people don't do, but I like to do that. Um, there's no fats in Gatorade, no fat in whey protein. So I'm having that through the duration of my session. That's I'm already in awake for two and a half hours by the time I get to my first meal. So I have lower fat because uh, I don't actually train two or three hours post-training. I wait and we all usually go together. But if you got to modify your schedule, that's how you modify it. Less fats, don't have so much fiber. Uh, maybe have a higher glycemic food so that way you can modify schedule and bring it back because you've got to train two hours later. Um, so most of my fats do come at the end of the day. Um, Super. That's one of the biggest determinants, that fiber. And then generally looking at, is it more of a higher glycemic carbohydrate or not? Yeah, actually you brought up a really cool point because this is something actually I learned within the last couple of months. I'm not sure if I told you actually um, with this uh, AM PM split, especially while dieting. Um, Jared, you pull out a lot of fats because, you know, you're trying to, you know, increase the speed of digestion between your sessions because you usually train closer. I've learned that I need to add a little bit more fats in my meals after my AM session because I was usually just doing it like I would normally do, you know, you know, high carb, you know, just moderate glycemic carbs with protein, you know, and then kind of like ease into my PM session. But now uh, I notice that if I do that and don't add enough fats in it, I get to my PM session and I feel uh, very tired and groggy because digestion process by adding a little more fats into my meal. So kind of opposite of what you have. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. Again, it's nuanced. So yeah. if, if you're going to train six hours later, some fats in that meal is probably a good idea. Mm -hmm. If you're training an hour later, eh, you know, limit that. And I, I guess that could be um, potentially affected for Charlie at the moment. I don't know if it's all the time, but maybe when you're now you're dieting, Maybe that's something you've found more apparent. I don't know if that adds another element in the mix, someone dieting versus like massing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the whole uh, timing of uh, carbs for me uh, has been pretty huge. Um, and uh, like uh, having specific macros, especially in my uh, post-work, has been huge uh, since I've started the whole like, bodybuilding journey. Um, to be honest, I haven't seen too much of a difference uh, while I'm dieting and massing. Just two different problems. Yeah. When you're when you're di when you're dieting, you got to time it out so that you have enough energy. When you're massing, you got to time it out so you don't throw up. Yeah. That's basically <laughs> it. Yeah. Awesome. And um, I guess. Oh, go on, Mike. It's just real quick tangent. Jared, you ever see? By you, Charlie, you probably see this. Bodybuilders will like talk about like, like these are all uh, like. Uh, uh, drug using bodybuilders they'll like hire a prep coach and they'll talk about like man the, the changes in the plan he made like made my digestion so much better oh. like i'm really we're really like he my coach taught me like how important digestion is and i think 
I never know what they mean by that. I just always think like, oh, oh he made you take more insulin or like time your insulin better. I mean, there's like this whole, what the fuck? Like, are there people walking around who can't digest their fucking food? What the hell's wrong with you? You need to go see a doctor. I never had a problem digesting anything in my fucking life. Yeah, right. fart more or something. Like, I don't know. What, what is it, Jared? What are they talking about? Uh, dude, I have no idea. So it's, it's to their, um, you have to pick foods that agree with you. The same bullshit argument. It's just like, you have no idea what you mean by that. Uh, you notice, they're like, I noticed that uh, white rice, but brown rice, okay. You know, we knocked that home. That was, was fantastic. You're like, wow, that's what we pay the guy $15,000 a year for? It's like, he's like, all right, enough white rice. Try brown rice. It, it, it's kind of nuts. But uh, to their discredit, a lot of folks who are super jacked, uh, they actually don't even think of, this is something I learned from Broderick Chavez. Uh, they don't think of nutrition in terms of like macros they, or, or food groups. They're not like, he eat low glycemic carbs here with 50 grams of carbs. A lot of the guys really just are like, okay, like, I ate 80 grams of white rice, like scale weight. And you're like, okay, what about pasta? They're like, what's well, not in my plan? You're like, what? Like, what about oatmeal? They're like, no, it's got to be white rice. You're like, all right on. And then they'll hire a coach that's like, try oatmeal. They're like, wow, this is great. I'm so much fuller. <laughs> and you're like, holy shit. Thank God you have a coach because who knows? Maybe you got a guy to help you tie your shoes and all this other shit. Anyway, I'm, I'm done talking shit for the time. But I might return to it later. <laughs> have you got time for another question? I know you said... Yeah, I think one more. One more is cool. good. One more. Yeah. One more. One more. Hey, Pascal here. I just quickly wanted to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we put a huge emphasis on the personal aspect of our coaching. And if you want to take your physique and knowledge to the next level, hit the link in the description below. Oh, no. Let me think. I want to pick a good one. So are there any things that you think the listeners, like anything you want to say for them to avoid any major mistakes that people could be tempted to fall into and one potential one i don't know if it's a mistake or a temptation so i'm asking two questions now because they're the two i wanted to ask but it's maybe sure. starting off your mesocycle and you're just training once a day and then you're like oh now i'm overreaching i'm going to split it into two is that appropriate is that okay uh, how do you feel my my biggest advice to folks applying this is apply it always from a needs analysis and not from a perspective of thinking this is a thing that's advanced. If I do it, I will be advanced. If I tag myself on Instagram, advanced people like Jared Feather will share it and I'll have magical Instagram happiness. Um, and I'll be one of those guys two a days, right? Bros. Like there's this bar, you know, like there's like cop bars in New York city where all the cops go after work. There's like a jacked scientist bar on the virtual world where you'll see Jared and I and Charlie and you're like, Hey, uh, we're all the same. We're one of us. And we're like, guy, you're our new best friend. And then we sort of like, we go into the bathroom and you're like, what are we doing here? We all start making out with each other. Like what the fuck have I gotten myself into A Satanic music starts to play. Right. And you're like, I should have never joined this club ever. Why did I want to fit in? But on a serious note, like you, it has to, um, to quote, uh, quote from Dragon Ball Z, uh, it has to come from a need, not a desire. You don't, you don't say to yourself, I want to train twice a day. You look at yourself and you say, okay, clearly I'm having trouble stimulating some muscle groups. I'm doing a lot of volume. My systemic fatigue is never really an issue, but my acute intra-session fatigue really prevents me from hitting, doing some justice to some muscle groups. And some I can't move around to be first in a session because they'll interfere with the other ones like biceps and back and stuff. So, and I have the free time, maybe, you know, two sessions is something I need to do and will benefit from and then try it in a very marginal, easy way and see if it works for a little while. And if you get great workouts and you get great results, systemic fatigue is not an issue, you're well on your way. But I think some people just try a two-a-day plan because they're like, two days, that, that's cool, right? That's like a different flavor of soda for them. Like I've been drinking Dr. Pepper. I want to try Coca-Cola. Like, yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things. Like if you don't need to do it, it can just be um, at worst, it can systemically crush you. But at best, it can just be like this thing that basically made no difference and you just pissed away a shitload of time at the gym where you could have been, uh, you know, Pornhub is uh, is uh, premiums free right now, you know, be at home. I mean, unless you can figure out how to jack off the gym, which I've never done. Awkward silence. <laughs> oh, it's awkward only for you guys. Charlie, is there any kind of mistakes you've made or mistakes you think people might fall into that you'd hope that maybe they could avoid? Yeah, trusting Mike to do my programming <laughs> so we do back after legs. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, the biggest misconception I had going into two-a-day training was that 
hey, these are just more training sessions, as in like, I'm going to do like a full training session and another yeah. pretty full training session. And that was not the case at all. And, you know, looking back on it, if <laughs> we attempted, if I attempted anything like that, I would die within the first week. Um, if you're going to try two a days and you're, you're advanced lifter, um, actually the way pretty much Mike built my first two a days uh, program out is that my two a days kind of was just my one day split up into two sessions. They're very short, very easy sessions for me, but both sessions were more effective for each like rep I was doing. Okay. So if you're going to try it, uh, try from that approach. Don't, don't change your overall volume. Start slow, <laughs> ease into it because you know, the worst thing that happened there is that you just add more volume. Um, you know, so yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the added benefit of the higher quality sets. That's the main benefit of twice a day sessions, not necessarily the added number of sets. Yeah. So like Charlie's excellent advice of like, don't think, okay, I'm doing two a days. I got to justify them with more volume. Otherwise, why would I do two a days just because you're better rested? It's already a benefit. So start with the exact same volume you were doing, but just split it up. And then if you're like, well, I'm actually recovering pretty well, just follow the volume landmarks and see what they are for you at that point. See if you ever hit the systemic threshold. Awesome. Jared, you got one? Um, sure. I, I doubt we'd see this in beginners who kind of want to jump the gun. But I imagine in intermediates, early intermediates, um, people like that, people who listen to this podcast, some of them might want to jump into it. Um, and pro- they, they might anyway, regardless of the, the needs analysis. But the best thing I could tell you is run a cost-benefit analysis. What's the next, next best thing I could be doing not being in the gym? Jacking off. Jacking off was one of them. Premium. Crying. <laughs> Spending time with family, maybe. Crying is cathartic. <laughs> Crying. But real cost-benefit analysis. Like, I'm going to have to, like, so let's say they're a regular gym goer and they're into, like, pre-workouts and something. Like, I got to prepare my pre-workout. I got to prepare my whatever else. I got to drive to the gym. I got to do this. So it's more time than you, than you actually probably think about when you think about doing two-a-days. Because those are the variables we don't take into consideration. Then you got to go warm up on the treadmill and then you got to do this and then you got to drive back home. And then by that time it's eight at night and you can't sleep at nighttime. And then now sleep was the next best thing and you gave that up too. So that's to sort of talk people out of it, right? Inter- intermediate people, trying to talk them out of it a little bit, run that cost analysis. And, and if you find maybe a year after that, you want to try it, try it. Um, for the people who are going to try it anyway, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you shouldn't. Um, but if you're going to, some some steps that you could take are the ones that they have already mentioned. Also, just kind of adding in one or two. I have a few clients who are advanced. Um, the IFB Pro that we talked about the other day on here, um, he's, he wanted to start trying them. So we started him off with two. He's now into three sessions. Um, and he's doing really well. And he says his biceps are recovering a lot better and everything else is recovering a lot better. So for the people who are going to do it anyway, just ease into it. Um, and, you know, hopefully, I'm unsure where I stand on this. I'm, I'm saying it's fine. I'm unsure where I stand on it from a, a psychology perspective because I, I don't know the, the cumulative result of you doing this for so long. But the psychological burnout is real, like we mentioned earlier. It is definitely real. And if you think, oh, I'm going to be fine, I'm going to try it anyway, and you do it for a really long period of time, like I said, the psych, the psychology of it all might just creep up on you and you, you lose that desire for training. So me trying to talk you out of it, maybe don't do it early or immediate. Uh, me telling you that it's okay. Take into consideration that the psychology might creep up on you because I'm sure all of us here, including yourself have had brief periods in time where we were overreached and we thought to ourselves, why the fuck am I going to the gym? It happens to everybody. Even like myself, I am, uh, I was a natural pro bodybuilder. I'm, I want to be on the Olympia stage one day. Mike has been training for, I don't know how many years. Charlie's been training for, I don't know how many years. Both of them have more training experience than I do. And I imagine they've been through periods of time where that has happened mm-hmm. and really being irresponsible and jumping the gun on the two day training might lead to that sooner. So. There's a concept that Broderick introduced us to called the burden. Um, and it's, uh, I remember asking Broderick, what's the most gear anyone uh, under his guide has, has run responsibly and intelligently, scientifically, and with decent health trade-off? And he gave me a figure 
Um, and I, I might as well just answer this because YouTube's going to fucking kill all of us if we don't give a figure. It's, it's around three grams total per week, right? So if you don't know what that means, you don't worry about it because you have no context for it. <laughs> That's me. Um, and there you go. You're like, three grams? That sounds like not that much salt, I guess. Um, it's like what I eat per day. <laughs> so like your first cycle you do off of how much salt you eat, you die three days later. Uh, $1,500 short. Um, but so, uh, you know, he said... And I was like, wow, like that's, that's a meat and potatoes dose. And like, how long did he pull that off for? And Broderick's like, yeah, about 16 weeks. And I was like, okay. And it's, so it was medically unwise to do it longer. And, and Broderick goes, no, it was medically, it was fine. I was like, so why, why the stopping at around 16 weeks? He's like, because the burden. And I was like, fuck, does that mean? He's like, taking that much gear responsibly means you have to level your nutrition training and meticulousness of lifestyle to that level. Like if you're going to be running and gunning with three grams, you're not recreationally training anymore. Four workouts a week is not going to cut it. Missed meals are not going to cut it. So this guy's putting in 800 to 1,000 grams of carbohydrate per day. He's training, you know, six to 10 times per week, cardio, et cetera, sleep, all the other drugs you have to take to support that sort of thing. That shit wears on you like crazy because you become living life like a machine and, you know, unfortunately, and we're all trying to change that sooner or later, we're still human. Fucking the worst terrible thing I've ever admitted. Um, humanity, the ultimate <laughs> disease, right? So it's transmissible too, because humans make copies of themselves. But uh, <laughs> so, so basically, like, you have to uh, realize that at some point that wears on you like crazy. And, you know, putting the gear aside completely, um, Charlie and I are right now doing 12 sessions a week. The only reason we could pull that off is because of the quarantine. Our training is not as per session stimulative as it could be if we were using heavier weights and real legit machines as opposed to free weight shit at home. So we can survive the 12 week, their 12 session right now. But Charlie and I got burned on 11. And I, I, I think we tried 12 for like one week back in the day. Yeah, we got through about two weeks. I two think. weeks and we were like, fuck that. So for Charlie, it, it, it's literally like, let me get specific as what I'm talking about. You do a training session, you know, that like relaxed feeling after a training session. We're like, ah, oh, I feel great. Like I've done my work. I've done my training gone. Cause you got another session in a couple of hours. So you're nervous about that. Cause it's fucking hard, right? Cause you get, you get a chance to train hard more often. So these sessions are not easy by definition. Cause the reason you put them on the, on the PM is because you can train harder now because you're fresh. So then after that session is over, you have some time to yourself time in the evening and you think, okay, I wake up tomorrow morning and I repeat and I repeat and I repeat every fucking day in and out. There's no letting up. If you add cardio to that, like if you're an idiot like me, you do jujitsu on top of that, there's just never a stop. There's never this like reduction in fatigue, even psychologically that is burdensome and that adds up. So periodize it. Like Jared said, maybe start with, uh, you know, your multi-session experiment with a mesocycle of eight sessions per week, you know, just two, two a days, then go up to maybe 10 and then finish off one meso of 12 until you Icarus yourself deload. You're going to get great delayed adaptations, great gains. And then you may be going back for several mesocycles to four to six sessions per week total of training, making great gains or maintaining or cutting. And then when you reach back into your pocket, go into the eight first, then 10, then 12. Cause a lot of people just want to go. I mean, all of us here want to go straight. I would love to train 16 sessions a week, like in concept, in hypothesis. Uh, but when you actually end up doing it, it's just not sustainable. If it was, that'd be sweet. I just think we're not doing enough meth is what it comes down to. More meth. That's really it, Steve. You can just clip this when you edit it and just replace with more math. Uh, I do want to say, because I've done twice daily training since like 2017 when I think uh, you, you guys first introduced it to me and everything you're there saying there is things I've experienced. And deloads help a lot where you like barely go to the gym, maybe you really reduce frequency. So too does having that rest day at the end of the week, like you almost beg for it. And then there are kind of resensitization maintenance phases help a ton too but i wish i'd built myself into it i think i went straight to like i don't know i did it with jared i went to like 10 sessions a week or something and i think i, I think like you guys have laid out kind of slowly eking it up i think would be really great so i think that periodization of it when you have a need for it is yeah gold advice Thank you so much, Steve, for having us. Yeah, on thank you this, so man. much, guys. I appreciate the time. Um, and I want to make sure, hopefully, people know where you and Jared are. And I'll make sure to link that below. But Charlie is new, so I want to make sure he gets his his little info out there. So where can people find out more about your training and everything, Charlie? Uh, you could just follow me on Instagram, uh, 
Charlton underscore Banks, like Carlton Banks, Fresh Prince of Bel Air reference for anyone. That's a dated reference. Oh man, <laughs> oh, man. God damn it. But yeah, you can find awesome. me there. Guys, thank you so much for coming on again. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, thanks, Steve. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're going to have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're going to go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.